Hi, and welcome to Latino Northern Colorado. I'm Rhonda Solis. And I'm Chris Garcia, and we're co-creators of this podcast. Today, we wanted to talk a little bit about who we are, right? Provide an introduction, and then also speak to why we started this podcast, and then introduce a new topic today. So, Rhonda, would you like to start? Sure. So, my name is Rhonda Solis. I have uh, been in Northern Colorado all of my life, and have been in Greeley most of that. I graduated from Greeley West High School and also raised my family here. There you go. (laughs) Raised my family here. I have two kiddos um, and they are 29 and going to be 26. And we have been part of this community, uh, you know, and and tried to engage in this community for a long time. I've worked for small business for 30 years and I'm currently a manager for a dental practice uh, in Windsor. And I am currently serving my second term in elected office as a school board member of Greeley Evans District 6. And so my family uh, has been around and involved. My kiddos, um, my daughter works for a small business here, and then my son also works in education. So, you know, and my husband works for another small business. So we've, you know, we've just kind of been involved in our community for a long time. Awesome. Well, my name is Cristobal Garcia, but you can call me Chris. Uh, I was born in Fort Collins, Colorado, but I've lived in Zacatecas in Mexico. I've lived in Nebraska, New Mexico, and Colorado, and I, I call Colorado home. Uh, I've lived in Colorado the longest, and I'm, I'm almost a Greeleyite. <laughs> I'm almost there, I think. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny because, uh, well, I graduated from Colorado State University and then I also, uh, I got my master's from Colorado State and I got my undergrad from UNC. But Rhonda and I are both uh, graduates of the Latino Leadership Institute, uh, cohort two right here, and Rhonda? Eight. Uh, two is the best, just no, eight is. putting that out there. Um, but it was a really great opportunity for us to continue working together and really kind of start this conversation. Uh, Rhonda, Will you share a little bit about why you wanted to start a podcast? So I had some friends of mine and we kind of talked about wouldn't it be amazing to have a talk show here in Colorado because we don't really have any Latino, Latina talk shows. And so we talked about it, but when you kind of do the research and stuff, it's a little expensive. You need sponsors and usually you have people kind of trying to tell you what to do and what your show is going to be about. So that was kind of just on the back burner. And then podcasts started to become really, really popular. And so I tried to figure out, you know, what kind of podcast would I want to do? Could it be political? Would it be about education? Something that could really go out and teach people about subjects that maybe they don't know about. And then Chris and I, our journeys have kind of intersected here and there throughout the years. And just in doing that and having conversations with Chris, I thought, wow, we could be a really good team. I look at where we are in life and kind of what our experiences have been, our different lenses. Um, You know, I'm a mom and, uh, you know, I've been working all my life. I didn't attend college and I'm like maybe eighth generation Coloradoan. I am monolingual English and unfortunately the Spanish language ends with my generation, although I've been trying to work on it. Um, I'm still not there yet though. So, but I she understands some just just like the bad words. (laughs) But I thought, what a great opportunity for us. I say a lot of bad words. I think that that's why she understands me. (laughs) And he talks with his hands. That kind of helps too. So I thought, you know, what an amazing thing that would be, and kind of brought up the idea to Chris, and we both kind of lit up, and it was like, 
we're doing this. We it was have exciting to do this. because I had been telling other folks about like, I think I want to start a podcast, but I didn't know what it was going to be about. And then you said it and I was like, oh my God, this is like our opportunity. <laughs> so I think that um, I 100% I, I agree. It's a great opportunity for us to share insight um, from each of our lenses, um, but also bring other folks in, right? We want to make sure that we have some really exciting guests. Our podcast is going to have cover so many different topics, including education, health, government, economics, social issues, and really the entire plethora of what it means to be a Latino in Northern Colorado and how issues impact us. And we're excited to hear from you. We want to know what you want us to talk about or what kind of guests you'd like us to, to have in part of our conversation. So we are looking forward to you helping us steer the direction of some of our podcasts. And please know that we are open to all suggestions. Um, we definitely know that these are two different- Except changing the hosts. Like exactly, <laughs> that's not an option. <laughs> but we're definitely open to different subjects and uh, different ideas on how to move this conversation forward in Northern Colorado. And with that, let's introduce our subject. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, so today we're going to be speaking about an issue that's not often spoken about, but often um, inquired about. Uh, as a Latino, and I believe as a Latina as well, often we're asked, uh, you know, what is the Latino perspective on this? Or what will the Latino community think about this? Or how, why don't you get the Latino community involved in this? And it's really interesting because so often we're seen as this homogenous blob of people that just kind of all do the same things, all listen to the same music, all eat the same tacos, right? I mean, and honestly, a lot of us do eat the same tacos because they're really good. But we're not just a celebration. We're not just a food. Um, and we're really very diverse, very different groups of people um, who are all kind of mixed in and, and connected and called Latinos even if we are very different. Right, and I think it's really important um, to recognize because there are so many different cultures and people coming from different countries, it's even more important for people in our community to reach out and make sure that you're inviting different people to the table. I know a lot of times when I serve on one nonprofit or one board or commission, I'll have another one want me to be on their commission or their board. And I know, Chris, you've done an amazing job of you know, you know, I might not be the person for that, but I know somebody who can do that well, or who would be even better at that. And so I think that's one of the great things about uh, you and how you kind of work in our community is you know so many people and you're ready to help plug them into situations where you really know that their voice would matter. Well, thank you, first off. You're that's <laughs> very honoring. Um, I could say the same about you. I really do agree with that. And I could say that, you know, what I think is the best piece about this is that we both know that we're not the only voice, Correct. right? And, and by knowing that and by acknowledging that, I think that you open up so much more space for so many other people by saying, you know what, I don't have a background in working with elderly folks or, you know what, education is not my um, main you know, topic right now. Or, you know what, I know someone who would be great for you because they have a background in welding and they would be really interested in an oil and gas commission or something like that. And so it's, it's really important for us to continue doing those kinds of things. And I think that one of the things that we've talked about, and, and I hope that you can share a little bit more about this as well, is um, acknowledging that history. Right. 
And so one of the things for me in really empowering myself, and I guess I can tell you a little bit about a story of mine. Uh, so I've worked for small business. I worked for a female dentist for several years in our community. And at that time, there were only two female dentists. It was, you know, a predominantly male industry. So to see women in that was just, it was just wow. not very often that you saw that. So I saw this woman and she was just so intelligent, so on top of all the different things around dentistry. And I was just in awe. And I think at a young age, I was in my early 20s when I started working for her, I just learned what it was like to, to be a powerful woman. And I think that was my first thing, was to feel like I was empowered as a female. And then I had a couple of situations happened at my work where one was a man that was getting some dentures and he was gonna be paying cash and I was up at the front and I gave him what his total was and expected him to give me the money and he refused because he was paying with cash and he didn't want to give it to me. And for me, it was a gut punch moment and a realization that not only do I need to feel strong as a woman, but I have got to figure out how to feel strong as a woman with brown skin. And so that's actually what brought me to Hispanic Women at Well County. I just happened to see Juanita Rocha on there in an interview with a council member who used to have a talk show, and she was talking about it. And I thought, oh my gosh, I need to go there. And so I dragged my best friend with me. We joined the group, and I've been part of the group for over 15 years now, and really, really felt myself blossom. I was surrounded by these women that looked like me, that talked about history, that talked about all these amazing people that came before me. And it really made me understand what it is to be brown and it's not a box and there's different stories and there's different people and they've done all these things that I've never even heard of before and so now I had to figure out okay these people came before me and opened all these doors which allowed me to be here and now it's time to to carry on the torch Definitely. and so it made me a stronger community member a more involved community member and someone who really started to pay attention to her surroundings and how to be part of the conversation of moving things forward that's beautiful i think that what you're speaking to is just so important in this acknowledgement of folks who came before us right like one of the things that i wanted to really speak to is the fact that I was able to go to college. I didn't have to fight for a classroom, right? I didn't have to fight for access to the college institution, to a campus. One of the things that we did fight for while I was there and we won was getting the name back on the Chavez Center and all, and all of the cultural centers. But you know, those are things that we were able to fight for because folks had sit-ins in Candelaria and locked themselves in the building until they were arrested or folks fought for our opportunity to have an education beyond K-12. And so it's really important for us to continue acknowledging that. And I think that we're going to be acknowledging that in upcoming episodes as well. Really speaking to the history of what Northern Colorado is and Colorado as a whole and how Latinos were here, right? They were doing the work. They were participating in government, in education, in business, in starting towns, in creating access, in all of these different things. They weren't just standing on the sidelines. So even though we don't hear about them often in the history books, we're going to be talking about them in upcoming episodes as well. Well, one thing that I had learned through LLI, and that's the Latino Leadership Institute, was actually in the beginning of the Colorado Constitution, it was actually written in three languages. It was German, Spanish, and English. And that was just an amazing small little fact that I had not even known about until I went to LLI. And when I started to share that, people were just like, wait, what? Yep. 
And so I think it's those little things that we can bring forward that kind of remind us that we've always been part of this area. We've always been part of the story. And it's been, we're part of the backbone of Northern Colorado. So look up Casimiro Varela. He is one of my heroes and his mustache is also one of my heroes. <laughs> I'm waiting for Chris to show up with that mustache. <laughs> uh, but truly, you know, a Colorado state senator for 40 plus years, the border crossed him and his family and he was one of the folks that truly made sure that the Colorado Constitution was in Spanish so that all of the Latino residents of our state were able to understand and access government. And he was also the one of the people who pushed for it to, become, to be written in German so that our German residents, right, the, the German residents that were living right here in Greeley um, were, able to, were able to understand and, and getting access to their government as well. And those are just some of the, the stories that we want to make sure that we bring forward because if we don't tell those stories, then no one will know. And it's so important for our young people to, to really hear these stories and to hear about these people. Uh, you know, we have Priscilla Falcon here in our community who was huge in the Chicano movement. You know, we have uh, Carlos Leal who was huge at UNC making sure that our Latino students were, you know, feeling part of everything and creating programs. Starting the Mexican American Studies program making sure that we had a center on campus in 1985. You know, making sure the uh, cultural center was there so that students had a, a space to access where they could say like, I can be myself. And at the same time, I can use this platform so that I can teach others about the importance of myself, my community, my culture on this campus, in this community, in this city, in our county, and in our state. Well, and when you look at the different you know, elements that we have, when it's people that have been on the college campus doing this hard work, the people that have worked in agriculture in our community for decades, also our, you know, our meatpacking plant, uh, we have lots of hog farms, dairies, construction, uh, we have lots of business owners. Oil and gas. Yes, oil and gas. So we have all these different elements where we have always been a part of this work and really need to be celebrated and really need to be recognized for our contributions to this community. Definitely. And with that, we should definitely start talking about the different communities that we're going to be speaking to. A short disclaimer that we are not speaking to every Latino community. We're not going to speak to every subgroup. Um, we may speak to some of those mm -hmm. uh, today, uh, but we're not going to speak to all of them. We wanted to make sure that we were highlighting some of the more historic groups and some of the new and up and coming groups uh, so that folks could understand, you know, when you say the Latino community, you're really speaking about these different pockets of folks who not one person can speak to all of them. Well, and we definitely recognize that that is not our place and that's not what we're here to do. We're not to be the voice of Latinos here in Northern Colorado, but we recognize that this is the tip of the iceberg and we're hoping to incite others to want to do their own podcast and have these conversations. Or join us on ours. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> some of the populations that we'll be speaking to and some of the sub-communities that we'll be speaking to are um, one group that we're calling Hispanics, right? Or, or could also be called Mexican-Americans. Uh, we'll be speaking to the Chicano community. We'll be speaking to Mexican immigrants who came in the 70s through the 90s. We'll be speaking to Latino Generation Xers and Generation Y or Millennials. Um, and we'll also be speaking to a new wave of immigrants that has come into our community who are also Latinos but are coming from Central America, from Puerto Rico, from Guatemala, uh, Guatemala from uh, Cuba, from different parts of our country as well. So like 
different parts of the United States and, and saying, you know, like, I'm coming and I'm settling here. They're coming from Costa Rica. Um, and they're settling here in Greeley and in Northern Colorado and saying, you know, like, how can I begin to build my community? I want to make sure that we also state that, you know, we're going to speak to the importance of language, culture, uh, connection to, cult, uh, to country of origin for all of these groups, and then how they may or may not identify with the U.S. And I think it's important that we recognize and respect how people self-identify. I think that's kind of a confusing thing for people sometimes, and whatever you feel comfortable with, whatever describes you, I think is totally okay. And so I, I hope that we kind of get past the arguments of what's the correct term or what's the wrong term and recognize that, you know, we all have to figure out where our place is and how we fit and where we feel comfortable and where our identity is. Amen. Would you like to get started with the first groups? Sure. So the first group that we're going to talk about is Hispanic Americans, um, and that's people that have lived in our state since before it was even a state. So these are groups that have uh, been here for generations, and the border may have crossed them. Uh, the so southern border of the U.S. crossed the southern Colorado before the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. And so those people really kind of created a, a stepping stone or a pathway for people to, you know, have that Latino experience. Oh, yeah. Um, some of them may have been even called like Spanish Americans. Mm -hmm. um, some of them may have been Jews from Spain. Um, some of them may have been uh, residents of Mexico who had already staked their claim to land, right? There's like land grants and things like this that um, in many ways, you know, the system of oppression that came through after the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, they weren't allowed to keep their farms. They weren't allowed to keep their ranches. They weren't allowed to keep many things because the systems were so vastly different and they didn't have access through language or through culture or through norms to know that these things were happening to them. Well, what I found interesting is that actually when the state of Colorado became a state, women from Mexico actually had a lot more rights than women from the United States or from, you know, the newly formed uh, Colorado. And so that was, I didn't know that. Like They, they were allowed to own land. Yes. Yeah. And so... It was interesting to find out what was already happening and then kind of after the Constitution being signed, kind of what direction we went through as women. It's because they had the chancla. Yes. <laughs> we don't mess around. <laughs> but that was an interesting fact that I didn't know either. And again, it's one of those conversations that, you know, you need to learn more about where you come from and uh, how we all got here and what that journey was like. I can't even imagine being those first mm -mm. people part of the Colorado Constitution and trying to figure this all out and work together. I mean, if you look at us Even now... understand each yes, other, right? Yes, Yeah, so, I mean, what a challenging time, and yet look what they, they did and they achieved. And even now with some land, I mean, there's still some of those happening in the court to this day uh, in a fight over land that should have been passed down from generation and people who have rights to certain land and use for that land, uh, whether it's the water or, you know, whatever's growing on the land. Yeah. And so those are always conversations that sh we should be having because they continue to this day. And, you know, I think that's something important to speak to on this group as well is that even through this systemic oppression that they may have faced, whether they were taken from their families and put into, you know, white schools or whether they were um, forced to assimilate versus acculturate or whether, you know, whatever it was, those things that they were forced to do, in many ways they gained access to systems and learned about systems over these generations that helped them move forward, right? Helped them get ahead, helped them understand how they could be part of this community, help them understand how they could contribute, help them understand 
really kind of where they could fit and how they could open up access for others as well. Well, I think the conversation that continues from that point moving forward is that whole conversation around assimilation versus acculturation. And I was having this conversation with someone today and just kind of breaking it down to where it's, it's kind of, uh, it's hard for me to understand how people would expect people to give up their culture and their language and all these things that they grew up in generations. Um, but then you have people that will like move to Colorado and they're still Cowboy fans or they're still Raider fans. They don't automatically become Denver Bronco fans. So it's, I, I, I don't, that's just football, but yet people are so, you know, passionate about it because it's part of who they were and who they celebrate with their family and yet you know they don't assimilate to Colorado when they move here so why would we expect that from people who come from another country to give up all of their culture and assimilate to what we quote unquote think American is supposed to be which is a whole nother conversation <laughs> in pod show um, yes. but I think that conversation has you know kind of started in that era and is a continuing conversation of just how do we kind of maneuver that? Is assimilation the correct way or is acculturation where you learn the culture that's here, but then you hold on to what you want to from your culture and make sure that you pass it forward to you know future generations? Yeah, you don't give up who you are just to live in a space. Correct. And you know, I think it's really important to remind people again, the Colorado Constitution was written in German, Spanish, and English. So when you hear people speaking Spanish in, in public or even German, remember that's that was where from the beginning. And to see it even continue now is amazing. I love hearing people talk to each other in different languages because it's like I almost get jealous because my generation is gone. And you know, I, I just love that they hold on to it and they keep it moving in future generations. And if you want to see some of these artifacts, you can actually see some of them in the El Pueblo History Museum uh, because there's a Borderlands exhibit that's happening there um, where you can truly see all of these different things. Um, there was also a Chicano History Museum exhibit at uh, History Colorado Center. Uh, so like our stories are starting to be told and Dr. Falcon was actually part of creating that one. It's just up to us to make sure that they continue to be told um, and that they're told accurately. Correct, right. And you know, that's one of the things I really loved about Dr. Falcon is just her passion to make sure that those stories continue. I mean, she's literally given her life to this work and continues to, and I'm just in awe of people that have that that much, you know, sweat, blood, and tears in moving us forward and are literally, you know, the story of you know what's happened here in our community and she's also a mentor to so many mm -hmm. she's a grandma to so many yes. uh, she's uh, you know a listen listening ear and I think that um, you've been that to me as well oh, thank not you. a grandma but yeah, exactly. <laughs> a listening ear and I think that it's important for us to you know be that as well for each other you know be that support and be that person that kind of understands and says you know, I may not be exactly where you are, but maybe I was there five years ago, or, or maybe I was there 10 years ago, or maybe I haven't been there, but you're teaching me something about our community and you're helping all of us kind of get through that. Right. And so in going back to our conversation, are you ready to move to the next one? Yeah. All right. So the next one we're going to talk about are Chicanos. And for me, this really hits home. And one of the reasons for that is I kind of feel like for me, Chicano was like the middle 
where I was monolingual English, but I didn't really fit into the Caucasian, you know, environment or the, the little clicks that were happening there because I had brown skin. And then on the other side, I had brown skin, but then I didn't speak Spanish. And so it really kind of gave a sense for me of, okay, I do belong. This is kind of where I fit. This is kind of what I believe in. And I watch these amazing people going forward, like, you know, Corky Gonzalez and, you know, the Chicano movement and the walkouts and the Brown Berets. And Dolores all, Huerta. Yes, yes, who will be here in November, here in Greeley, uh, just passing that along. But these people who had been doing this, I mean, just feeling empowered and getting people to really work together. When you think of the different organizations and movements that happened during that time, it was huge. Whether it was our own political party um, or our own center that was working to take care of people, kind of like what happened with the Black Panthers and making sure that our community was taken care of and that we were educating people and that we were fighting for all people to have access to college and making sure that our teachers and professors represented the community Definitely. and really demanding it, not asking for it, but going in and demanding that that's the way it should be. It was this cultural awakening, right? It was exactly. like, I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of my skin. I'm proud of my language. I'm proud of my culture. I'm proud of my name. And in so many ways, people were again able to say like, I'm building power and we're building it together rather than just me by myself. And so you saw organizations like Mecha, you saw organizations like the Brown Berets, you saw organizations like the United Farm Workers come up and say like, we're gonna defend and we're gonna talk about our rights and we're gonna make sure that you know that we are human, right? Like. We are human beings and we deserve the same rights that every other human being deserves. And so, you know, although so many of these struggles continue, right, 50, almost 60 years later, it's important for us to note that they started here and that it was a really beautiful thing for folks to come together and say, soy hermoso. <laughs> right? And I mean, how powerful boycotts could be. Mm -hmm. I mean, those literally changed how things happened and who did what and who shopped where and what you didn't buy. And so that was a huge part of that was, was boycotts. And I think this was a time where we really kind of got some pushback around that whole conversation of assimilation versus acculturation. And we almost kind of created our own culture within a culture uh, in the Chicano movement when it came to music, when it came to, you know, how you dress that was the pachuco time uh, and you know there's still people that will you know dress like that every now and then and you know lowriders that was a huge thing and so there was just this huge culture shift and new creations that happened that was just so exciting that you can definitely pinpoint to that time and that era it was it was also folks kind of maybe not pushing but pulling people along right and mm -hmm. saying like you can be proud of who you are and you can be proud of knowing another language. You can be proud of your native roots. I know that when I was in Mecha, that was a big piece of it as well. It was making sure that we were proud of our indigenous native roots that said, you know, we were here before it was, you know, Spain came and colonized. We were here before England came and colonized. We were here before this became Mexico. We were here before this became the United States because we have such indigenous roots and we're part of this land. We're part of this people where, you know, our state is actually Colorado, right? It's, it's the color red. It's the color of our skin. It's the color of our being. And we can be proud of all of that.
Yes, exactly. And kind of speaking to that indigenous part, I mean, I think all of these different elements or these sectors that we talk about, you can go back to that. I mean, I remember my grandma making certain concoctions with plants and herbs and uh, even insects sometimes. And that would be our cure for everything. Mm -hmm. You know, if we had this ache or this ailment, she would be putting something together. And I'm An sorry. An onion on the, bat on the bottom of yes, your foot. Yes. Or... Uh, potatoes on your forehead when you had a headache and vinegar. A tomato on your head for your hair to grow <laughs> right right and i'm sorry but vix yeah it cures a lot it does. i still am addicted so to sprite <laughs> but it's funny how these little remedies you know are, are really indigenous in how they start yep. and now you see even people in other cultures going back to this and learning these holistic ways yep. and learning more about herbs and different things that you put together to cure things and not always depending on medicine and so there's this shift that's happening but we've been a part of it all this time we already know yeah we already know <laughs> you're lucky we're sharing <laughs> Um, in speaking about shifts, uh, are you ready for us to talk about the next group? Yep. Yeah? Okay, this so is your group. Uh, the next group is the you know 70s through 90s uh, Mexican immigrants. And I'm really excited to speak about this group because one of my parents was in this group. My dad came to the United States when he was 14. It was 1972. And he was an undocumented immigrant, but he came to the United States because he wanted a better life. One of his brothers was living in Fort Collins. Um, another one of his sisters was living in, in Torrington, Wyoming, um, which is where the Wyoming and Nebraska comes from because then we moved to Scott's Bluff and all that other stuff. Um, but you know, these were like some, some routes that had been taken by folks in his family and friends of family that brought him to Colorado. Uh, he came to Colorado, he started growing up, he played soccer here, you know, brought some culture here. He worked in the meatpacking plant for a little while. He's worked in construction. He's worked in oil and gas. You know, a lot of these blue collar jobs that a lot of folks say, they're, they're not really taking them, right? And so somebody needs to come in and fill those jobs. And that's what folks like my dad were doing in the 70s through the 90s. And so they were building this, but they also came because they wanted a better life for themselves and a better life for their potential families. Uh, my dad met my mom at Island Grove Park. She is from Johnstown. She's born in Denver, but they met in Island Grove Park and he kicked the soccer ball over to them while they were cruising. Uh, two weeks later, they ran away together <laughs> and they've been married for the last however many years since 1979. So, oh my gosh, 40 years. Wow. Um, I see a movie. And so, so yeah, love in Greeley. Right? Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, this group of people come into the United States even through challenges, right? Right. So I think one of the misnomers is, is that everyone that came to the United States wanted to be a citizen of the United States, and that's not correct. We had a lot of people who came here that worked seasonally, who would work for the same, you know, farmer or the same, you know, area of land and came back time after time after time. And they would go take that money that they made, they would take it back to their country, they would invest it in their country. I know that a lot of people in Mexico like always talk about owning a ranch, owning some land, and that's a big thing down there. And you know, being able to pass that on generation to generation. Mm -hmm. So for a long time, that was how things worked. What ended up changing that was not the migration uh, situation, but actually policy here in the United States. We as Americans changed legislation that made it more difficult for these people to go back and forth across the border and working for that same person that they had worked for and established a relationship and a lot of 
trust. I mean, you had people here who were farmers that had been in farming for you know generations yep. and found this person that they actually trusted their whole you know farming industry in their hands and you know a crew that they would put, be put together. And so they had this rapport and it happened, you know, systematically every year. It was just like clockwork. And then we go and change things. And so then this farmer can't get that same worker sometimes, yep. or sometimes that worker can't work for the same farmer. And so what ended up happening is that worker ended up staying. And after they've been here for so long, they brought their family. And that's how a lot of things changed for people and not going back to, to their country of origin and spending that money back there. And then you talk about how the United States has actually kind of intervened in other countries where whether it's been, you know, Mexico where we've closed down small businesses and opened up our own big corporations. And so that kind of impacted their economy and how things ran down there also. And or I even, you know, like through debt, right? There's so right. much that happened um, in the 90s, in the 80s that forced uh, Mexico to devalue its currency because of things like NAFTA, right? Right. And so they had to devalue their currency in order to like play in these big player games. And when they did that, not only did they impact their economy, but they impact the livelihood of so many different folks. And so now it's like, well, I can't make it in my home country. I can't make it the way that I used to. And, you know, I, I, I remember this farmer because we were relational people, right? right? I remember this farmer that I used to work for and I just gave him a call and he said that I can be over there and I have my job. And so, you know what, I'm gonna go over there and I'm gonna work there and then, you know what, I'm gonna meet a woman and two weeks later I might marry her, you know? And you might and have so, a <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, but, you know, like, these folks also came to the United States for this American dream. And we keep talking about how American dream is so different for everyone and what American means can be different for everyone as well. But these folks wanted a better life. They wanted their kids to have an education. They wanted their kids not to have to work as hard as they did. And I think that that's a little bit of all of these groups, right? Right. And that push-pull of, you know, what we have here that creates the situations that happened and how much, you know, power and legislation and changing that kind of stuff changes those situations. One of the biggest things that I think we, re we need to recognize as people of color is to stop blaming one another because you cannot blame those with no power and no money. What really has changed the immigration process has been us here. Whether it's our drug consumption here and you know them, that's that push-pull again, uh, and just needing workers and Americans not, you know, filling those jobs, which we definitely had a, a rude awakening when we had our raid here. Yeah. That, you know, kind of put a lot of those myths to rest that, you know what, that's that stuff's not true. And so we need to figure out how to be more supportive of one another, regardless of what era you were from or your family was from and how newly arrived you are or how long you've been here in Colorado. We need to make sure that we remember we were not too far from that and we're not that far away from that. And that if we're really gonna talk about immigration, then we, we need to talk about what we have changed policy-wise and what we have done in other countries to make people want to or need to actually flee here. And so that's another important conversation for a podcast, I think. Definitely. To continue speaking about this group, I think it's really important to also notate their connection to their home country, mm -hmm. um, whether that's through language, whether that's through culture, whether that's through music, whether that's through food. Um, I was lucky enough to have a little bit of all of that, right? 
Um, and it's because it's, it's beautiful, right? Like we're beautiful people and it's really important for us to have that pride for our culture, for our food, for our names, for our traditions, for our values. Um, these groups were also traditionally very Catholic, right? Mm -hmm. And so they had these Catholic roots and these Catholic systems, um, but they really had no knowledge of American systems. And so what's really interesting, and, and it's going to be kind of my tie-in into the next group, is that so many times they didn't have access to these systems because they didn't speak the language. And so they relied on their children, right? They relied on their children to be the folks who translated for them. They relied on their children to be the folks who filled out forms and documents for them. They relied on their children in so many different ways because they were these cultural navigators that were both from here and from there. So the next generation that we wanted to talk about was Generation X and Millennial Latinas, Latinos, Latinx uh, communities because we wanted to talk about number one, these are the children of those immigrants, right? These are those folks. Um, this is where I feel like I fit in the most. And it's because like I grew up learning about these systems and in part I feel super lucky because my mom is from the United States and so she had a lot of access to these systems as well. When my tias came over from Mexico, she was the one in the human services line with them, helping navigate that situation and, and helping them understand you know, what type of assistance they could have access to um, or, or how they could find a job, right? Helping them um, find those jobs or find those networks so that they could do that. And I think that there were a lot of folks that also did those things. Mm -hmm. And I want to acknowledge those folks because I think that that's a lot of work being those cultural navigators and really kind of stepping up so that the rest of the community has access. Um, one big thing about this group is that they grew up many times in both cultures, whether that was a Chicano culture and American or Hispanic culture and an American culture. Um, and, and, and I'm going to change that word. I'm going to say a U.S. culture because America is the entire two continents. And, and or whether that was a Mexican culture and an American or US culture as well. I feel blessed because I lived on both sides of the border and I speak both English and Spanish. And so I say, soy de aquí y de allá. I'm from here and from there. Because uh, I, I feel like I am very American and at the same time I feel like I am very Mexican. And it's really cool because I can be both and I'm not ashamed of being both. And I'm actually excited that I can be both and I can explain and I can um, engage and I can interact with both in, in ways that I feel like many of these other generations didn't have the access to. Well, what's interesting is I feel as though, I mean, you look at my mom's generation and there was a time that, you know, people were actually getting hit in schools for speaking Spanish. And I look at, you know, you and all the different doors that this has opened up for you. And it's been interesting because for me, when growing up, yeah, I didn't speak Spanish and it wasn't something that was pushed uh, for me to do. And my grandparents, you know, tried really hard, even with their limited education, to make sure that we were, you know, speaking English and doing as well in school as we could. And yeah. so it just wasn't a big thing for me. And then the transition happened with my kids and my daughter was so angry at me because we don't speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. And she had all these friends that were speaking Spanish and now it's okay for you to speak Spanish in schools. Well, and it's that's still another issue. Yeah, it's kind of. But she was just so jealous of these girls that spoke Spanish and was just so sad that we lost it. And um, that wasn't even a thought of mine at the time growing up. And now I look back and I, I wish I would have worked harder to, to keep that going. And you know, one thing that you bring up that I think is really important is that there are actually companies 
or organizations or even government institutions that are hiring folks specifically for this multilingualness, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's English and Spanish or Somali or, you know, whatever other language that, that you can speak. And in many times, they're actually paying these folks more. When I wonder, you know, kind of the discussion around how Colorado started, you know, it started with this constitution in three different languages and how we ended up where we are. Yeah. You know, because I, I think about before the raid and there was still so much, you know, anger about having to have things in English and Spanish or press this number for Spanish. And that just seemed to be a topic that came up a lot. And then the raid happened. And now when you look at it, we have over a hundred different languages in our school district. So we went from having two and people complaining to now we have over a hundred. Now, I love the diversity. I love the different cultures and stuff that we have in Greeley. It's just interesting how we got there. Yeah. It was literally on hate. And now we have this whole different community. And there are some haters now that find a new you know, thing to, to kind of hate on when it comes to a lot of our Muslim community members. And that's a whole nother conversation. But it's just interesting how those, you know, we talk about history and we talk about the beginning of Colorado and where we are now and that conversation around language. There's so many things that we need to talk about within those spaces. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation I know. continuing. See why we're so excited. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many topics that we need to talk about. Um, but I think, you know, in, in returning to this, this group, I think that something that's great about them is that they grew up in these systems that, you know, Chicanos fought against that Hispanics had to assimilate to that their immigrant parents may not have understood completely and they've been the ones that have kind of also been working within these systems to help change them and and I want to take a step back I want to acknowledge the power uh, the the Chicano movement and that many of these other organizations and, and many of these other generations sorry had in in the fact that I can go into spaces where it doesn't say, you know, no Mexicans or dogs allowed. Um, it may be a thought in someone's head, but it's not out on their, it's not outside on their business. And so I recognize and I acknowledge the power that went into all of those things so that I could have the access that I have today. And I think that it's important for us to notice that, but also important for us to know the struggle, right? That there's still those gut punch moments that Rhonda talked about a little bit earlier during our show in that like sometimes you're you're doing the work and you're like yes i'm i'm you know i'm a big part of this community i'm a part of this and it's like go back to where you came from or you're not from here or you get the question um where do you come from and it's like uh fort collins no 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 but like where do you come from uh or how are you so tan and that's yes. not summer yet or oh my gosh you're so articulate <laughs> <laughs> or your skin. I've seen skin like that. I've, I've seen someone and, and they're from this one country. Is that where you're from? No. Or in speaking to the next group, go back to Mexico, right? This next group that we're going to talk about is this new wave of immigrants, right? This new wave of community that's coming that is not from Mexico. I was actually reading a Pew, Pew Research art article yesterday um, on Hispanics and Hispanic Americans. 2019 is the first year ever that Mexican undocumented group is not the largest group of undocumented people in the United States. Okay, you might need to say that again. Say that again for our viewers. Mexican immigrants do not make up the largest undocumented group in the United States. 
for and, the first time ever. And so who does? In many ways, it's the Central American immigrants. Um, and so it was a group, it was, it was kind of a grouping of others, but for the first time ever, in this 11 million, right, that they, they keep talking about this number of 11 million, it's not Mexican immigrants. So for those that need to have this conversation, now you have a resource to go to. Yes, go to the Pew Hispanic Research <laughs> Center. Uh, it's online um, and it's a beautiful conversation to have, right? This group, we both really felt that we needed to share that we don't know that much about this group, mm -hmm. right? Like neither one of us is from this group and this group is kind of an emerging group that is really interesting. Actually, just the other day, I was uh, walking and a gentleman stopped me and he said, oh my gosh, I heard you speaking Spanish. I am from Costa Rica. I used to live in Colorado Springs. Now I live in Greeley, but I don't have a community here and I'm not Mexican. So I don't I super identify with that group. And I just want to know, do you know folks who are Costa Rican that live in Greeley? And I had to take a step back and, and maybe it's my own you know, bias of being Mexican and liking rancheras and eating tacos and being very, very connected to my family um, and to people who are like me that I said, you know what, I don't know. I, I, I don't believe that I know folks who are Costa Rican who live in our community, but I do know folks who are from Costa Rica that live in Longmont or, Bra or, or Boulder or Denver. And let me reach out to them and maybe they have access to a community that I don't have access to yet. And let's build that community together. Well, and we have that family center through the district. And I think, you know, if you want to find families, you go where the kiddos are. And so I think that would be another, you know, place to, to send him to and, and see if maybe he can connect with some people and maybe even become part of the family center. That I think that's, it's a great way to share cultures and share information and share resources. And so I think that's a great place to the start. The Immigrant and Refugee Center might be a good one, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One other piece about this group is that we don't understand the struggle, right? Um, it's a different struggle. It's a new struggle. Um, there is no country close to them that is their country. Um, they don't have family that's close. Um, and, and their culture is slightly different, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's important for us to look at all of those things and really understand that um, we may be slightly different, but that doesn't make us separate. Right. right. How can we work together and how can we build together? Because we have the same brown skin and whether you're from Guatemala, Costa Rica, Honduras, Mexico, Puerto Rico, Cuba, wherever you're from, Colombia, the larger they see us as the same people. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, going through the same struggles in one generation or another of your own family. Yes. And I think that's one thing that we really have to recognize is that, you know, we have to figure out how to work better together and that there are lots of people that would love for us to be at one another and for us to do this, you know, fighting at the, the lower levels and while they're making big decisions at the top. When in all reality, we need to band together and make sure that things are working for all people. And we can't pick one specific group um, that should be okay to be here and then another group, it was okay when my family immigrated here. Because if you really, really look back, if assimilation was the key, if that's how this was founded, 
then we would all be speaking native languages, which we're not. So let's go ahead and get rid of that. That's not what this has been about. That's not who uh, the United States has been about, and that's not how it was created. So let's go ahead and let that go. Um, that can't be part of the conversation when it's never been actually um, how we have been here. And that's been with every group from the inception of, of the beginning of the United States. So I think it's really important for us to be clear on that and uh, realistic about that and honest about that when we have these conversations. I know that sometimes even within my family, uh, people were pitted against one another, kind of like that conversation of who was newly arrived. Like we, you know, somehow had this special thing because we've been a couple of generations in. But I think that there was a rude awakening here in our community when the raid happened, because when they were at the plant, it didn't matter because nobody had their documents on them. A lot of people had their stuff in their lockers and they weren't able to go to their lockers. And so you had brown skin. So this tied you into everyone. And I think that was hard for some people to, to you know, kind of, they thought they were, you know, safe. They thought they had been part of this community and that, you know, nothing was gonna affect them. And it was it was wrong. But if you were brown, you were taken. Exactly. Or at least put to one side yeah. of, the, of the factory while they kind of sifted through things. And we see that even now, citizens being deported. We have uh, people that have served in our military that were undocumented in the hopes of becoming documented. And that's why they joined the service and they've been deported. And these are people that have actually served in Afghanistan in uh, you know a lot of different situations. And now they've been deported and they fought so hard. And we have Americans that haven't, always served. I haven't served in the military. And yet we have these people who are willing to give up their lives to become a citizen here. And then yet they get deported. Because they have a love for this country too. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that goes back to the conversation about American being so different for every single one of us. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to make sure that we again shared that we did not touch on every identity in our community this was merely tapping the surface and this was an opportunity for us to really just kind of share a few of the larger groups in our community so that folks knew that when they said, what does the Latino community think about this? Or we need a Latino perspective, that a Latino perspective is not enough, that there are multiple Latino perspectives and that you need to do the work and you need to take the time and it needs to be part of the process. It can't be an add-on. It needs to be part of the process to say that this nearly 40% of our population here in Northern Colorado of Latinos is here. We want to work, we want to engage, we wanna be part of this conversation. Let us do that. Mm -hmm. And my advice to community is that if you really wanna change what's happening in your organization or what's happening on your boards or your commissions, you have really gotta be conscious of where you're missing the mark. And once you are conscious, then you have to be intentional in the work in changing how you do things. And that's how you're gonna get changed. That's how you're gonna get a board or a commission that's really reflective of your community. And it can't be the same person uh, that serves on all these different things just so you can check a box that you've, you know, yeah, I have somebody of color on my board. That's not enough. And so no more of this being the token brown person on the board. Um, it's really your responsibility to this community and the makeup of this community to reach out to different regions and different sectors of our community and make sure that their voices are at the table. You know, during my experience on Leadership Northern Colorado, we were at an oil and gas company's uh, you know, headquarters. And it was really interesting because when you look at the population that's working in oil and gas, it is heavily Latino, right? Mm -hmm. This is a job that so many folks can kind of 
work into and find their way into the middle class or the upper lower classes, you know, they can buy their first home. They can buy their pinches trocononas that they like, you know, those big trucks that everybody seems to love. They can do these things that help them build a better life for themselves and for their families. And yet when we were there, I saw no brown faces. And so I brought it up. I said, you know, you're, you, you talk about building this campaign around oil and gas and the good that it does in our community, but where are all the brown faces? I know that they're working here. I just haven't seen them at all today. And I said, it's really important for us to be represented. And then I said, and it's important for us to also do good work. So instead of maybe managing a campaign, do something that's powerful and important to our community. Build sidewalks, you know, like make sure that we're lighting the future for our community. Doing these things so that we're building on um, the successes of our community while really highlighting the people who have been part of that work. Well, and that it, it feels definitely authentic and that it's not just trying to, again, check a box, um, but that you really are engaging communities and you're really asking them to be part of the conversation and at the table and in the same, uh, you know, respective uh, conversation that we're having, we as people of color need to step out. Sometimes it's a little uncomfortable being that one person in the room raising those concerns. Um, you know, you kind of get labeled as an unsafe, you know, Latino. Uh, but <laughs> I'm okay with it. <laughs> but I, th I think it's really important that we do step up and we do, you know, have these conversations and we do make sure that we talk to people and hold them accountable to making sure that our community is reflective in all the different aspects that we see like the police department the fire department all of those things we that is that's the right thing to do and it is our responsibility to make sure that that goes forward agreed well on that note i want to make sure that we kind of sum up some of the points that we brought up um, during this conversation is that there is not only one group so right. one latino voice does not represent us all um, we want to continue growing and continue this conversation and we also want to make sure that we're giving props to those who were here before us, right? So making sure that we're giving props to organizations like KUVO or Tigre Colorado who has been here and has been a part of this community for so long. Um, but also again, Al Frente de la Lucha and many of those folks who have been part of building this space so that we have an opportunity to do something like this podcast. Right. And, you know, thank you for not only doing that work, but making sure that you tell those stories, because that's really the difference is when you hear those stories uh, that you, you know, really educate people on what the real history here is. And, you know, that's kind of what we want to do. We yep. want to make sure that we continue those stories and make sure that people feel proud of being here and the work that's been done here. I think that's, uh, you know, we all kind of go through an identity crisis on trying to find our way. And I think these conversations definitely at least help. I 100% agree. Um, on that note, I want to share that for our next show, we'll be talking a little bit about the creators. Yes. So the people that have been around doing this hard work uh, for years and are still here. They're still here doing that work. We were not on the historic sidelines. We're not on the sidelines now. We're part of building our community and we've been part of building our community. And there's so many places within education, within business, within agriculture, within all of these different industries where we've been here and we've been part of it. And so we're gonna highlight some of those folks. We're gonna highlight some of those folks from Northern Colorado. We're gonna highlight some folks from Colorado as a whole. Highlighting the people that have made this place the amazing place that it is 
and made it the place where people want to come and live, mm-hmm. right? And then celebrating those people that are continuing, like you said, Federico Pena, and you know the Latino Leadership Institute. That has been such an eye-opening experience for me, and I highly recommend it if you're kind of looking for that next level of polishing your skills and polishing, um, you know, your professionalism and learning about opportunities that you may not have even known about. And one of them was, you know, us developing this podcast, uh, and it kind of came from the energy that we had from LLI. And I think even equally as grand as that is the community that you build in that space. Being in a space where other Latinos understand your struggle, maybe very different from you or maybe very similar to you, but everyone is kind of growing and building and you see it and you're like, I acknowledge you, I want to be part of your growth, I want to be part of your development, and I want to build alongside you. Um, And I hope that Rhonda and I can continue doing that through this. I know that we've been doing that work through Latinx Professional Network as well. With um, Maribel. With Maribel Talamantes. Um, And then um, I know the Hispanic Women of Wild County have been doing this work. I know that there are organizations like the Northern Colorado Latino Community Foundation that are doing this work. There are organizations across our community and um, let's make sure that we're acknowledging them and um, hopefully some of these folks can be some of our guests in the near future. Uh, And and we have to give a shout out to our LLI alumni. We see you out there. Hey. That's been an amazing group to connect with and you just- Love y'all. You feel like you have this this other family. Mm -hmm. Um, Our next show will be taking place at the end of August. Um, And again, it will focus on those creators. One of those creators, uh, one of the first folks that I saw on Spanish language TV was Johnny Canales. Right. And so with that, I'll say, take it away, Rhonda. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And we hope to see you next month. Bye-bye.